some agencies that might be well-paying and still not be able to attract the right kind of people because they're not the place that people want to work for. All right. Good morning and welcome to this month's edition of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB podcast series. My name is Ray Ferris and I'm the Director of Education and Training for the Association. Today's podcast is sponsored by Command Presence and is entitled Become the Agency Everyone Wants to Work For. And now it is my pleasure to have joining us today, John Bostain. John Bostain is the president of Command Presence Training, headquartered in Brunswick, Georgia. He has committed the last 28 years to law enforcement, 26 of which have been as a trainer. He has trained more than 25,000 law enforcement professionals at the state, local, federal, and international levels, and is a frequent speaker at executive level conferences to include the IECP, NSA, FBI, NAA, and Noble. He currently teaches in the FBI NAA Leadership Forum series across the United States. John began his career with the Hampton Police Division in Hampton, Virginia, where he held positions as a patrol officer, patrol supervisor, detective, and academy instructor. In 2001, he joined the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia, where he served as a senior instructor and program specialist in multiple training divisions, teaching multiple disciplines. John left federal service in 2014 to pursue his dream of establishing command presence training. He currently lives in Brunswick, Georgia with his wife, Ann, and their four children. Welcome, John. It's great to have you on the podcast today, sir. Hey, Ray. Thank you so much for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to talk leadership. Absolutely, brother. What an interesting title you have for us in these trying times in this day and age. Become the, and that's in capitalized when you send it to me, become the agency everyone wants to work for. Let me start off by just saying uh, with the staffing challenges facing law enforcement agencies across the country, what can departments do other than pay to attract and retain the best people? I think the answer to that really is about, to me, it's culture. I, and I, that word's getting thrown around a lot. It seems like it's a buzzword. But unless you can afford to pay everybody uh, way more than the competition, the differentiating factor is going to be culture. And what happens when we talk about culture oftentimes, though, it's not uh, talked about in the format of intentionally designing the culture that we want for our organizations. And I do think that culture is the absolute difference maker. I don't think there's, um, you know, you talk to people around the country and and talking to new recruits and the people that you're bringing into the organizations. Again, money is part of it, but the reality is, is that culture is really where the heart of recruiting and retention is going to be. And uh, I'll give a quick example. So I was at a conference last year and I was talking to a chief of an agency and uh, he was, t- we were talking about culture and having this conversation and he was expressing some frustration. He said, you know, John, I really like what you're talking about here. He said, I just lost a, a veteran officer to a neighboring agency. And when I hear that, usually the first thing I think is, oh, uh, how much more are they paying? And he said, they're not paying anymore. He said, there's very little change in you know, starting pay. And I, so I was surprised by that. I said, what was it? What did he say? He says, well, the agency that he's going to has electronic ticket writers and we don't. And I thought, uh, whoa, that nobody leaves an agency because of that. They're leaving something in that that culture. So I think culture is the differentiator. If And I think you can actually have 
some agencies that might be well paying and still not be able to attract the right kind of people because they're not the place that people want to work for. Culture is a is just something that both of us, we, we know that through our careers and we see that in agencies. Talk about some of those core values and those fundamental behaviors. And yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because what happens is I think when we talk about it, how do we actually intentionally design culture? We want to talk about a transition. I talked about this at the um, at the conference in Cleveland. I talk about a transition instead of just talking about core values such as integrity, honesty. Th- those are important. There's no question about it. But the question then becomes is how do you do those things and what behaviors are associated with integrity? One of the things we've been talking a lot about across the country is how do we make a fundamental shift instead of just talking about core values? How do we identify the fundamental behaviors that uh, we expect from everybody in the organization, whether they are a chief of police or they are a records clerk or somewhere in between? What are the fundamental behaviors? So, for example, one of the fundamental behaviors we use here internally at our company is honor commitments. And so what that means is simply we do what we say when we say we're going to do it. So that's a fundamental behavior. Last week, we had a fundamental behavior. We talk about practice blameless problem solving. So that's another verb. And you'll notice that instead of just saying integrity, we have verbs associated with the fundamental behaviors. And the cool part about it is, is we say, hey, these are the behaviors we expect of everybody in the organization. Again, honor commitments, practice blameless problem solving, do the right thing always, be relentless about response time. These are all fundamental behaviors we use internally in our organization, but they apply to any police organization. And just stop and think of what that looks like if the entire organization, regardless of position, regardless of rank, regardless of their sworn or non-sworn? What's that look like when everybody is doing those same things? So for us, intentionally designing the culture means intentionally designing and laying out what we want, what fundamental behaviors do we expect from everybody in the organization? Outstanding. So let me follow up with this. You've addressed how to intentionally design that agency culture What else needs to happen to develop a department into a great place? I think we need to have a conversation, honestly, about mission statements. You know, I read an article recently on Harvard Business Review. It was called Enough of the Platitude-Filled Mission Statements. And if we go back and go across the country, and again, you know, I know I take a little bit of heat for this, but I hope people understand the intent behind what I'm saying. I think it's important to have mission statements. There's no question about that. But I also know that if it is four or five paragraphs long, that it's probably written more for the external audience and not the internal audience, meaning we like to put these mission statements up on the wall in the lobby or put them on our, you know, put them on our web page and things like that. And they're great. But do they really drive the internal behavior that we're looking for? And so what we've started doing with organizations across the country is we've been following Simon Sinek. We talk about most people have heard his book and he talks about start with why. So we've been helping agencies discover their why. We do a formal why discovery workshop. What that does is it gets to the heart of why we exist, but then it really refines our mission. So, for example, here at Command Presence, our mission statement simply is to educate and empower people everywhere so that they can serve the public. Now, that sounds pretty simple and it's straightforward. But it drives our internal behavior, regardless of who we are. And that is straight out of Simon Sinek's Find Your Why. He talks about two blank, so that blank. And that becomes a mission statement. In fact, we just did this with an awesome group in Michigan uh, a couple days ago during our um, Converge Symposium. It was so exciting watching a chief sitting next to 
a cadet and then a sergeant and lieutenant. And they were working through this process of, hey, revising these mission statements and really digging deep about why, finding their why. And the stuff they came up with was incredible. I already saw where some of the chiefs have publicly put out on their website that, hey, after going through this training, we have uh, revised our mission statement. And it was great because it was collaborative, literally from a police cadet all the way up through command staff and the chief. So for us, switching from just core values to fundamental behaviors, and then a mission statement that is internally focused, not just words on a wall. Uh, Those are the two huge things I think we can do to establish culture. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I couldn't agree more. Let me run a little rabbit with you here. I have heard a little bit about this finding your why as I travel the country. What are you seeing are some of the the advantages or the changes or the benefits when departments do this with their, their men and women? Well, I think what's really cool is when we do what we call the Why Discovery Workshop with organizations like we just did last week, it starts off with everybody in the group that's in that small group talking about the sto- they, they're sharing stories and they share stories about times when they were most proud of their organization. And what we do during that exercise is those stories are going on, we're identifying themes. So themes such as uh, service obviously comes out a lot. Engagement uh, is another word. And they're identifying themes that really drive who they are. So the stories are very rich and everybody at the table in the small group, they're sharing these different stories. So the first thing we do is we talk about, you know, a time you were most proud of the organization and we find themes of from that. And then we talk about who was impacted by that. Then we go on to talk about, hey, after we've discovered who was impacted, then what contribution was made. And in those three questions that we go through, we identify, like I said, these themes. And in those themes is the why. And it's like I said, it was such a great experience for us to actually watch um, these organizations go through that process and walk away really feeling confident. Hey, this is why our organization exists. And then they simply converted that into a mission statement that is, you know, both internally and, you know, it's internally focused, but it looks great, still looks great on the wall and on the website as well. But really, a mission statement should be driving our internal behavior and just happen to be also nice looking externally, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And we've both been doing this a long time. So, you know, sometimes it is uh, real important for us to get back to why we do what we do. Right, right. And, and we've both been there. Outstanding. Let me shift gears a smidge here. We hear a lot about uh, succession planning mm-hmm. agencies and in departments and organization. How important is that? Succession planning is huge. It's really important. But I'm going to argue that maybe sometimes we go about it a little bit I don't want to say wrong. Wrong's not the word, but um, maybe we can go about it a little bit better with a different focus shift. I think what happens when we bring up succession planning and we're having the conversation in most organizations, it's always about who's going to be the next chief or who's going to be the next fill in the blank, you know, whatever position. And I think philosophically, at least, we should consider a change to succession planning should be about filling talent not necessarily position, meaning we should be succession planning for talent. So, for example, if we're looking for detectives, one of the things I should be doing is going down to the detective bureau and say, hey, which of our officers, and I don't care if they're a six-month officer or a three-, four-year officer, hey, which of our officers are writing the best burglary reports? Who are the most detailed? Who does the best job? Who takes their time collecting evidence? You know, those are people I probably want to think about uh, moving into the detective bureau at some point in time. In fact, Part of culture would be 
helping them see themselves and helping them be in their why. We talk about it a lot in our leadership training is, especially younger officers, I want to know what their why is. I can, to the extent possible, I want to help them work in their why. So, for example, if I've got somebody who was a dog handler in the military, that might be the answer to my next canine position. You know, the other thing, too, is we talk about who's going to be the next lieutenant or captain or major, but uh, are we spending enough time talking about who's going to be the next firearms instructor? Who's going to be the next FTOs? Things like that. So, for me, I think it's just a philosophical shift of saying, hey, succession planning should be succession planning for talent not necessarily position or, or rank. Absolutely, brother. I couldn't agree more. Hey, as you travel the country and as you see departments and you see departments getting it right, let, let me ask you this. Other than retention, and of course, that that's huge. Other than retention, what are some of the other benefits you see when you become the agency everyone wants to work for? What are some of those other tangible benefits? Right. So when you have great culture and then you succession plan for talent, um, those are two of the three things I talk about. That's how you become the agency everybody works for. I believe it's three things. Intentionally design the culture, investing in leadership training at all levels, and then succession planning, as we mentioned. And what happens is there is a direct correlation between the people who serve in those organizations and how they treat the public. There's no question that if you have a bunch of malcontents who are just irritated with uh, working in a toxic culture, there's a direct result in the way we interact with the public. So no question that not only do we get to attract the best people, but also we get to retain them because the way they are perceived by their community has a big effect on whether people want to stay in this job or not. Listen, we, we're in weird times right now. There's no question. Um, we've got people leaving law enforcement to be baristas for crying out loud, you know, and we got to wonder why that is. And some of that, if you listen to when they don't feel appreciated anymore. They don't feel like their communities support them anymore. But if you do the things we're talking about here, again, you know, intentionally designing culture you want, investing in leadership training at all levels. If you do a good job of succession planning, the manner in which they serve the community is better. And that's going to have an impact on how the community perceives them. You look at some of the, you know, just the surveys and the informal studies that are out there. The perception of law enforcement by a lot of the communities is what's causing them to leave. So if you can have an effect on that and you really get back to the good days of engagement, community policing, there's going to be a great, you know, those are the agencies you're going to want to work for and stick around. Great answer. Let me, let me close out uh, with this. And it can be on any topic. Uh, as a law enforcement leader yourself for many, many years, as a law enforcement trainer, it doesn't even have to be about this topic that we've talked about today and the great insight you've given us. But give me your best as a, a career law enforcement leader, your best leadership tip, less than one minute, short and sweet for command staff, for middle management. You, you tell us what is the best tip in under a minute that you could give professional law enforcement leaders? Leaders are readers. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that is my best advice. It's something that I try to, and if you don't like reading books, then listen to them on Audible. But, um, you know, we've got to look outside just, quote unquote, the traditional law enforcement management supervision books and look at uh, what we're doing in, you know, the private sector. And, you know, I read Harvard Business Review and some, and that's where some of our leadership training comes from. Lynchoni and, you know, Jocko Willink and it just, I mean, leaders are readers, you know, and I think that is, you know, my best advice to people. I love it, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing this valuable insight with us. Listen, if our listeners want more information on becoming the agency 
that everyone wants to work for, please go to commandpresence.net. You'll find a lot more information there and you can follow John and, and see where he's at around the country. This concludes this episode of APB Podcast. Please join us again next month for another edition of our podcast series. Until then, stay safe and be well. Thank you.